Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode number 144 of the Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike, where we will be discussing the 11th episode of season 6 of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., namely the episode from The Ashes. But before we do that, um, let me ask you this, Hannah, how are you today? Well, I'm quite pleased that we're on episode 144 since I've just turned 144. 144. (laughs) (laughs) Since I've turned 44, so... um, that's very serendipitous. And also, coincidentally, episode 144, today's Valentine's Day. If you add up the, the letters in... No, I've got nothing. <laughs> it's no coincidence at all. Apart and from my birthday wasn't on Valentine's Day. It was the day before. It was the day before Valentine's Day, yes. Um, but uh, happy Valentine's Day, all you Marvel lovers. Yes, and that's this is how we celebrate, um, by recording a podcast. Yep. I love letter to our listeners. Um, uh, we, it's funny actually because I work in a. Um, Let's get it on, listeners. I, I, I work in a largely female team at work. I'm in very much in a minority, and we do these daily stand-ups where we go onto Teams and have to type in our morning messages. And my morning message today was: I will not wish anyone Valentine's Day today because that will probably get me cancelled <laughs> <laughs> collectively. Um, but no, we are. But we are enjoying uh, the evening of Valentine's Day by uh, recording this podcast where we are talking about this um, episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, please, Alan, do tell us the tale of the tape about this episode. Okay, so it's called From the Ashes. Uh, Synopsis says, out of answers and running out of time, the agents must face the ghosts of their past to move forward. Okay. It is directed by Jennifer Fang and... Written by James and Charlotte Oliver. Okay, cool. All right, all looking forward to this one. A couple of quick bits of housekeeping. Uh, firstly, a reminder uh, that we always appreciate feedback, particularly mm-hmm. as we're getting towards the end of the season. Uh, of it's which I nice. have some. Uh, oh, good, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that you can get said feedback to us is either through email, where you can email us at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave us a message on our YouTube channel. Um, and also it's worth mentioning that you can send us voice memos or voicemail as well. Uh, we're always happy to receive that. And uh, please do check out our friends' shows, namely Chinstroker vs. Punter, his film, her movie, Film Bastards, Entertainment Landfill, Talk Without Rhythm podcast, and The Good, The Bad, and The Odd. And we are on Twitter and Instagram, where in both cases we are at rewatchproj. That's rewatch p r o j. And we also appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Uh, so, Hannah, you say we have feedback. Uh, let's yes. do that. Okay. Um, so this is a comment on our last episode leap. Silver surfaces. Greetings, my beautiful and brilliant agents. Hope this finds you happy and healthy as always. We have finally arrived at my biggest dork gripe of the show that I love. Oh, I love this. Wow, the whole show, gosh. Uh, This is the part I referenced in the comments on the season four finale, where Robbie Ray specifically asks Daisy to look after his brother Gabe. So it makes me dork rage when Daisy admits here to sending money to Lincoln's sister. Excuse me? Who? A character we never met, an out-of-nowhere important character that links back to season three, and its weakest element, in my opinion, Lincoln. 
We actually met Gabe, know him, care about him, his brother Robbie and even Ghost Rider, who was mentioned this season as well, triggering our memory of past events. Yeah. Whole thing perplexes me as a fan and writer of decades of head canon. LOL. Dork rant over. Thanks for listening. That's a great point. And I've got an equivalent of that. You know the classic episode of Star Trek, The City on the Edge of Forever, the episode with Joan Collins? Mm. And the idea is is that, you know, Kirk goes back in time and he falls in love with this woman and then he realises that um, that she has to die. That basically, if she doesn't die, these events will be different and it'll be catastrophic for the world. Yeah. And the episode ends with her about to get hit by a car and McCoy goes to save her and Kirk has to stop him and let mm. her die breaks his heart and the idea is that's the big heartbreak of Kirk's life for the whole of Star Trek and his mm. biggest regret is that he let the woman who loves Edith Keeler die in Star Trek Generations which is the final Star Trek ever with Kirk in it he's living in this fantasy world of the Nexus and it, the idea is it's, it's his the whole of reality is shaped around his fantasies and he's living with this woman and it's somebody we've never heard of before Right, and he talks about, oh, this is Antonia. I, I knew her years ago. We fell in love, and it wasn't meant to be. But in this reality, I'm I'm going to fix this regret. And I'm watching it and thinking, why wasn't that Edith Keeler? Mm. He could have fixed it. He could have got her back. He could have. This could have been the reality if he had saved her. Mm. And it was right there. Yeah, you know. And it was the end of the character, and it would have given the character such incredible closure. Um, and I almost feel like maybe there must have been some actual production reason why they couldn't do it. Like, there had to be some weird... They'd have to pay Joan Collins loads of money. I don't know. But it's... Uh, but uh, or, or, Most long-running franchises have one of those fumbles. And I think that's that's a similar one to that. I... It didn't occur to me when I was watching it. I though, completely agree sure. with them, because... Um, yeah. Um, we... No one really cares about Lincoln that much. No. So, you know, to not tie it back to Robbie is such a shame. I mean, I kind of get it in the sense that um, Daisy has much more of an emotional connection to Lincoln. But I think that the fact that this sister is somebody we've never seen before makes it ultimately We didn't even know he had a sister. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that moment was there just to remind the audience of the fact that she's still... um, isn't completely over what happened to Lincoln, which in itself is a nice idea, but it's done at the expense of a better idea. Yeah. You know, but you know, can't win them all. Thank you so much. I think if, if, if that's, if that's your big gripe of the show, then good show. Yeah. You know, uh, he goes on to say the comment about Mike on the Terminator episode made me laugh because I nearly made a similar comment on the Conan the Barbarian review. I was like, okay, Mike, I know you know it's awesome, but quiet down and let Hannah answer the riddle of steel. Let her answer what's best in life. Let her speak on how awesome the soundtrack <laughs> is by Grom. <laughs> All of those things are true. Yes. Um, I. Oh, God. I, my, my memory is not good enough to even talk to those things. I just remember liking it a lot. Well, I just have to watch it again. Yeah. And, uh, and thinking that the... The love interest lady was proper amazing. <laughs> it proper does amazing. It does have a great score. Yep. Basil Polidorus does a uh, awesome score for that one. That was one of those ones where I, um, back in the day before video rentals, I used to rent 
libraries used to rent out vinyl in the UK, like, and I would always rent out soundtrack albums for films that I um, couldn't see because this was like it was like a fifteen, and I was like you know ten. And I remember renting the album out and just looking at the photos on the gatefold sleeve and listening to the score over and over again. And then when I finally saw the film as an adult, it was really weird. I was like, wow, I really know all of this music yeah. really well. I I I was. I mean, I've said this all in the episode, but I was very surprised at just how much I enjoyed it. Very entertaining film. It is. a seriously entertaining film. Uh, right. Jack Dubbs on the episode of Leap as well. One of my favourite things about Collision Course Part 2 and Leap is how the writers used the portal tech to nearly sidestep a potential plot hole, namely Davis being the experienced pilot that got Team Shield into space last episode and also the person who is revealed to have been the, the one Isel took control of before moving on to May. Having everyone return to Earth by way of a portal means that the writers never had to explain just how Isel knew how to fly a plane she had never been on before back to a secret underground base she had never been to before. That's crafty. Wow, that is extremely crafty, isn't it? Yeah. And I bet that most people wouldn't have clocked that anyway, even if they hadn't have done it, so... Uh... Yeah, very thoughtful. Yeah, I I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, yeah kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, speaking of crafty, I am one of those people who gets a kick out of the writers tying Sarge back to the events of the 100th episode and Coulson's attempt at sealing the rift caused by three monoliths. I would never have put down demonic 3D printer on my plot twist bingo card. It's also nice seeing the gravitonium sphere from the devil complex once again. You think that the writers have forgotten the stuff that they introduce in earlier stories, but all they really are doing is keeping them in their back pocket, ready to be bought out again when the story demands it's the, it. It's like the, it's the Rainer maneuver, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and he's so right. Like the, that's such a strength of the the team in general is yeah. that they care enough about the universe to remember all those things and utilise them when they're most appropriate. Yeah. And I suppose that ties back to Silver Surfer's comment. It, it, that's why it's more annoying when there is something so uh, glaringly, you know, out of place yeah. as Daisy. Well, because yeah, the show is very good at uh, using its own mythology mm. uh, to have storytelling devices. And, yeah, that's a rare exception. Yeah. Um, thank you both for your comments. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we also have an email. Oh. It okay. says, hello again. Hello, Mike and Paul. Mike and Paul, fuck's sake. Is that what it says? No. That's what I've said in my head because I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> Start again. It's all right. Power of editing. Hello, Mike and Hannah. Paul from Sheffield here. Oh, again. I see where you went wrong. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed your Conan episode. It gave me an excuse to rewatch it, and it was great to get perspectives from a first timer and a fan. Cool. Mike, ignore Hannah in this instance. I think your Arnie impression is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the very least, it is committed. Yeah, yeah. You, you should be committed. Go confidently with these things. You should you... be committed. Yeah. Um, Right, having a great time with your season six coverage. That season really flew by, and I am loving seeing it as I seeing it again as I barely remember it. Like you, I was going through a very busy period of my life, so it is nice to watch it again from a different perspective. 
Yeah, that's a big thing we've noticed, isn't it? Yeah. Is just um, just concentrating on something. You know, it's like it's like when I watch a film on the projector. It's a similar thing, and watching a film for a pod- or a TV show for a podcast, you just pay that little bit more attention. Mm. Uh, really hoping that you get to Twin Peaks one day, as well as Farscape, B5, and Buffy. Um, also looking forward to your next X-Files update. I think the moment for me when the show really clicked was the end of Season 2 and the beginning of Season 3. There are some amazing episodes in the first two seasons, but some are real, the show figuring itself out clunkers too. From Season 3 onwards, the hit rate is much higher and the show gets way funnier too. Having said that, every season has around 10 absolute bangers and that isn't a bad hit rate for any show. There are just very few average episodes. Um, it's all or nothing with those first two seasons. Mm. Anyway, it's past 1am here and I am waffling, so I'll let you go and say thanks again. Oh, night owl. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Um, that was a great email. From and Mike and Paul, would like to thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, thank you, Hannah, from Mike and Paul. Um, yeah, what do you, what, what do you say? Um, I'm sorry, I'm being so careful not to talk over you <laughs> at the moment that I think I'm going too far <laughs> the other way. Yeah, you really are. Um, I mean, it's, it, it is interesting when you rewatch something how, because I mean, it's like we've, we've, we've said before, I think you, you said this when we interviewed um, Enoch, you know, this the fact that when you're rewatching something, you know, there's so much of the pressure is off. Mm. Uh, you know, and that's a big one. And as far, yeah. and as, far as the X-Files stuff goes, it's a, that's a really good point because I think because they're still figuring out the show and the thing about the first two seasons of the X-Files is every episode they take really big swings mm. and it does seem like every episode is either crap or brilliant. Yeah. There's like there's no in-between. Yeah. And what I think, I don't want to put words in Paul's mouth, but I think the point that he makes is really fair is that when they at the end of the second season they figure the show out and I think the big realisation that they have is that they can be funny and it won't break the show How far from the end of the second season are we? We're about two thirds of the way through the season. Yeah, I can't Um, remember what episode we're up to. Yeah, because a big, and this isn't a spoiler, but a really long, meaty story arc kicks in near the end of the, the, that really enriches Mm. the show but I think that by realising they can be funny, what that means is that there are no very few out and out crap episodes. It's, yeah, it, it, it levels out like almost like the peaks are the peaks are lower, but the lows are higher. Mm. It, it, it just it's just every episode is solid. Yeah. Whereas in the first two seasons, it's like you know one week you'll have Ice or Endgame or one of these absolute classics, and then the next week. You'll have like you know, Mulder and Scully are on the case searching for a killer who's already dead. <laughs> you know, one of those kind of things. Those episodes kind of go away, yeah. but um, but it is interesting, and it's and it is the thing, the other thing I've noticed as well. And this is a real nineties thing. Star Trek did this all the time. Is where we are at the moment. We've just we've just this is some saying for the listeners. We've just got to the end of the Colony and Endgame two parter, and it's always after those big two-parters that they sneak in a couple of shit ones. Mm. Um, and that's a very season one, season two thing. 
So it's a little bit kind of like, okay, all right, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to plow through these to get back to the good ones. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. At we haven't we haven't watched any in the last few days. It's been um, the last few weeks, I think, actually. Been... No, we watched some last week. No, we didn't. Didn't we? No, it's been, it's been at least two weeks since we watched the X-Files. Oh. I thought it was less yeah. time than that. But again, I think partly that's because... I'm not pushing to watch them because I'm like, oh, God, we've got to watch them. We've watched a few films. I think, like, the next um, one, this isn't a spoiler because it's all from the very beginning. The next one's, like, so it's about, like, an invisible elephant or something. It's, like, okay. a real, like, oh, man. They're like, what do you try writing 25 of these things a year? <laughs> Sooner or later, you're going to have to do an invisible elephant episode, right? <laughs> um, in, the, in the last sort of week or so we've watched uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford mm. uh, The Banshees, Banshees of Inna Sheeran and Moonstruck uh, Moonstruck was my birthday choice yeah so we've been on movies film. haven't we movie tips yeah we have um, we've watched some documentaries as well and I can't think of any of the names of them have we watched documentaries I can't remember any yeah we have or maybe I have yeah I've not watched any I have. You've been watching Women Kill Men, haven't you? Oh, Women it's... Gone Wild. <laughs> no, I've been watching, like, you know, uh, Serial Killers Gone Wild or, uh, you know, uh, Unsolved Mysteries and things like that, which are highly annoying because they're unsolved. Well, you like closure, don't you? I do. And that's one thing, but that's the big... To go back to The X-Files, there has never been a TV show that resists closure as much as the X-Files. Mm. There's no ending to the X-Files. Mm. Like the, the final episode of the entire series has a bit of a, ooh, and then you've got the movie afterwards and, and then it comes back and you're like, oh, you know, years later it came back and you're like, oh, finally. And that just sets up. So you have to, when you're watching the X-Files, you have to accept the fact that you're essentially it's watching a never, a never ending narrative, mm. you know, and that the, 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 the mystery is there to drive the narrative. But, but, but having said that, though, it's funny because I've been listening to a couple of x podcasts have been going along, and they do answer stuff, but they literally, there'll be an episode where a long-standing question will get answered, and in the same episode, a new question gets asked. Yeah. So. I, I want to know how many of our listeners have um, seen um, the news, you know, the uh, the presidential spokesperson you know, press secretary, whatever her mm-hmm. name is, um, refuting claims that whatever they saw in the sky was of alien origin um, and making reference to, oh, I like E.T., but, you know, there's no um, evidence that this is an alien aircraft or whatever it is. And the first thing I thought when I saw that on the news was, oh, my God, it's like the X-Files, and it probably is, and they're just covering it up, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> the funny thing is, I read a, a conspiracy and, and I'll, I'll just stop with the X-Files in a minute, because I read stage, it's your podcast. But what was really interesting is I read an interview recently with Chris Carter, and he is very, he's an extremely liberal guy, mm. and he says that he's actually really saddened with the state of the world in regards to conspiracy theories now. And he said that he feels that the X-Files existed in a much more innocent time. Yeah. Whereas conspiracies were this fun, what-if, speculative thing. And he said now he just finds the ideas of conspiracies extremely depressing. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah. You know, and that, um, you know, he, he kind of like, he said that, you know, he doesn't 
believe in UFOs. Uh, he said basically he's Scully. Mm. He said he thinks it's fun to say what if. Yeah. Um, but he's more, Chris Carter's more of a, uh, he'd get on with your mum. He's he's more of a new age kind of um, yeah kind of guy. He's very, um, he, he's, a, he's a surfer dude, basically, who's yeah. just got old. But I think it is funny, though, that the guy who is probably, maybe along with Oliver Stone, the most responsible for bringing the idea of conspiracy into popular culture um, is a cynic. Yeah. And is a, is a denier of, he's a believer in science and evidential mm. treatment, you know. It's just it's so funny that that's that that's the case. Well, that's know. the thing about you know writing fiction. Well, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. But, uh, but anyway, um, thank you very much for the feedback, guys. Quick reminder yes, that we do you. always appreciate that. So please do send us emails and or YouTube comments. But anyway, we're going to hit pause. We're going to watch um, the episode from the ashes, the eleventh episode of season six of Marvel's Agents of Shield. So after this, so we've got three more episodes, including this one. Really looking forward to it. Let's do it. Bring it on. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to Film Bastards, a podcast where three friends, two of them married and two of them podcasting life partners, chat everything from new releases, trailers, news, and an eclectic mix of other film goodies. Oh, and many, many, many tangents. You can find them by searching your podcast provider or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards. You never know, you might like it. And if you don't, well, we don't really give a f- and we're back, so we've just finished watching episode 11 of season 6 of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the episode from the Ashes. Hannah, initial thoughts? Um, really, really interesting stuff, and I'd forgotten, I, uh, I'd pretty much forgotten the whole episode, so it was like a first time watch for me. Okay. Um, I love how they play with the... Um, with the whole Colson stuff of you know whether they see the person in there, how they cope, how each member of the team copes with either com- confronting that Coulson's not there or accepting that there may be part of him there, mm. um, and sort of in mm. some cases both. Yeah, um, I just thought it was really really well done. Um, and I like how it sort of flip-flops around, you know, no no one's sort of stuck in one train of thought the whole time. Mm. Yeah, just just a fantastic, fantastically uh, intricate but simple episode at the same time. It, like, there's plenty of layers and there's plenty of um, stuff to be paying attention to mm. and... Um, you know, to visually interesting and and you know, um, dialogue interesting, yeah. dialoguely interesting, mm. um, but not convoluted. Yes. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was really good too. I thought in many ways it was it's the quintessential third from the end episode in mm. the way that he does a lot of that chess piece maneuvering that we've talked about before. And I think what it is is that I think that you know. When you get towards the end of a season, you know, the storylines have got quite complex. You've got all these moving parts. Um, I think exacerbated by the fact that it's a shorter season mm-hmm. and we know that they did 
for whatever reason, a little bit of mystery behind it, but they, they, they did course correct and change certain things. Mm. And I think this episode ha- has a bit of a thankless task in the way that it has to set things up for the finale. I mean, I know there's two more episodes, but it's very much a two-parter. Yeah. You know, so this is very much the penultimate episode, even though there's two more, as mm. weird as that sounds. So I think that this episode had to do a lot. And you can tell because there were lo- for about the last 20 minutes... There were loads of scenes where I thought, oh, this is going to be the last scene of the episode. Yeah. And they kept going, like, usually when you watch an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's got that classic 42-minute structure built around ad breaks where you kind of know where you are in the episode. You know, they'll beat the bad guy, they'll do that, and you know that you're going to get then the wrap-up scene and then Mm. the bumper scene at the end. Yeah. Whereas it was quite difficult to get your sense of bearings with this episode. And I think partly that was because it had to just do a lot of work. But I think that it did all of that stuff really entertainingly and it kind of, it didn't feel like a chore. But I also think it's kind of done on purpose because they don't want you to have your bearings. Yeah, oh yeah it, it, it works to the advantage of the episode. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I don't think that that was necessarily the motivation, but I think that that was a useful side effect of it. And um, it just felt a lot like, it didn't feel like you were just getting... Um, you know, expositioned at. No, which can no, not be at danger. all. And there's one thing, I want to mention this while I remember it. There's a point later in the episode, I've, I've probably got it in my notes, but I just sort of think it's worth mentioning is that it's, I think this show, we've said before, is really great from a diversity perspective. And mm. it was great from a diversity perspective before that really became a thing. Mm. Um, and I hate to use this term, but it's, it's pre-woke diversity. Yeah. You know, but to use the term that a cynic would use. Yeah. And I think a really great example of that is you've got characters like Yo Yo and Are Simmons. you thinking about Benson's boyfriend? No. Oh. You've got characters like Daisy and Yo Yo and May and okay. Simmons, um, who are strong, awesome female characters. But they're allowed to be wrong. Yeah. They're allowed to be vulnerable. They're allowed to fail and learn from it. They're not these perfect characters. You have which, said that before in terms of Ray Skywalker. Yeah. And, and yeah. there were moments in this episode that really reinforced that. And, w- and what it does is it gives the characters depth. It gives them an arc and it makes them human. Mm. But at the same time, they're still the heroes. They're still the moral center of the show. They still carry the action. Um, and, it's just really nice to see because the problem is when you get into these conversations, I know how it sounds. It's almost as though, oh, these female characters have to be so bloody amazing. Don't That's how it sounds. Mm. But what I'm actually saying is I wish that these female characters, as well as being strong and as well as being central, had the same level of depth as the male characters because they yeah. deserve it. Yeah. And these characters do. Yeah, you know, and, and I think they the, are the, ass kicking and you know but, all the things that they need to be, but they're vulnerable at the same time. But, well, they're human beings, but, yeah. but by by and not allowing characters to have flaws, you are robbing them of an interior life. Yeah, and you're making the characters less interesting, and and then it starts to feel like when you don't do that, and characters are perfect and and ultimately ill defined, it sounds. It feels like box ticking. Mm. It feels like, oh, well, okay, well, let's just put 
a powerful, strong female character who's always right and perfect about everything because that's just easy and yeah. it's just it's just really lazy. And I just think it's really nice when you see um, Daisy in this episode being really sure of herself and strong, but then realizing that she didn't have all the information and that she's wrong, accepting that, fixing it, moving forward mm. and not dwelling on it mm. and being a leader, yeah. you know. And I think that there's a term that's used sometimes in fiction. Have you ever heard of Mary Sue characters? No. Like a Mary Sue character is when um, it comes, it's a fan fiction term where you'd get a lot of female fan fiction writers in the 70s wrote a lot of um, Star Trek fan fiction. A lot of it was homoerotic fan mm. fiction, but they would often put themselves as characters in the storyline and it was called Mary Suing. Like you'd mm. have a character, a Mary Sue character. And that's become like a derogatory term. And the thing I love about the show is there's, no, there's none of the none of the female characters are Mary Sue's. Mm. You know, and often Mary Suing can it can come from a place of purity. It can come from people want to have diversity. They want to and ultimately that is a noble thing mm. to want to do that. Yeah, of course. But the problem that you get there is that you end up with tropes, not characters. Mm. You end up with, she's an ass-kicking female character. Yeah. It's like, well, great, but what else is she? Because, I mean, I mean, if Indiana Jones wasn't just an ass-kicking male character. He was a geek and he was a teacher and he, he had all these mm. other things that defined his character and gave him complexity. And I think it's a shame when female characters don't have that as well. Along those lines... Um I really like the fact that May, um, you know, she she knows that she's right, but she doesn't go down that yelling, someone's got to believe me, kind yeah. of route. Well, she knows. She, she's got enough trust and respect that she knows that Daisy will get there mm. eventually, you know. and But she's also got enough respect for herself to know that she knows she's right, but she also knows that there's really it's not a battle that she can win by fighting, you know. So she has to step back and just, you know, like trust in Daisy and trust that she's correct in herself and it will come out. The also, truth will out. She's a soldier. Mm. So she's used to having to kind of compartmentalise and just mm. say, no, you know, I disagree with the politician that's telling me to go in and do this thing, but my mm. job is to go in and do this thing. And I think that the, and that's why I like the fact that the characters are allowed to grow. And, you know, like the fact that she's had this, this sort of maternal experience now and they haven't forgotten that. They don't have a mentioning it every five seconds, but it, it's informed her character mm. and it's now part of her character. And I think that that was, I think kind of having to be, because of her injury, having to be benched, I think ended up being a real godsend for the for the actor and for the character. Yeah. Um, to be able to do that. Um, another thing as well that impressed me about this episode is I, I remember Izel as being kind of a bit of a crap villain. And I don't think she's a world beater, but at the same time, I think she's more effective than I remember. Mm. And the way that they use her powers to make her a legitimate threat. And just the fact that she's just such a shit. Like yeah. The fact that she... Because I know that we live in this world where every character has to have motivation and like, oh, a villain shouldn't just be a moustache twirler. Mm. They should, they need to have trauma in their life. 
sometimes you can't beat just having a fad guy. Yeah. You know, and she's definitely in that. She is in that camp, yeah. for sure. And I think that the, the, this season as well, because you thought kind of that Sarge was the villain of the season, um, you didn't really need a Wrath of Khan level villain for this season anyway, because you've got all that stuff with Sarge going on as well. Mm. You know, and it's funny, it almost feels like Sarge has taken the Ward spot this season. Yeah, for sure. Do you know all the scenes of Ward where can we trust him, can't we trust him, getting angry with him in like the holding cell and, and all that. Oh my God, he's back again. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it almost feels like um, Sarge has got that gig yeah. this season. And it always felt like when there was a lot of Ward stuff going on, you didn't really need a strong central antagonist mm. in the season as well because you had that. And I think that that's the approach they've taken. I think the only problem I've got with Oisel is the look of the character. Yeah. I just think she looks, a bit, element. she looks a bit thrown together. Mm. And she looks like somebody from, and I know this is a silly thing for me to say because I love these shows, but she looks like something from a 90s sci-fi show. <laughs> you know, and not like a top tier one as well. Mm. I mean, I mean, I'm talking shows like one of the Stargate spin-offs or Lex or, you know, Red Dwarf. <laughs> Almost <laughs> like it's the party week. Yeah. You know, um, but but I think the actress is great, and I think the, the conception of the character is great. Uh, well, should we um, zip through the episode? And Go for it. Um, so we open up with Yo-Yo on a plane. Uh, it's like snakes on a plane. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. There's a reason you and I are married. I was literally about to just say that. Well, you can't say anything on a plane now without that. Uh, but um, it's funny. I thought that the episode was going to, because it was like in the middle of a bit of business, that it was going to do that once 40 hours earlier or oh, something. Yeah. But uh, but no, what we see, and I'm terrible at these these things, but even I was like, yo, yo, you've been fished in here. Yeah. You know, so... She's basically tricked by um, by Fomac, by, by Wackmac. Fomac. <laughs> um, as opposed yeah. to, is he a Womack tribute band? <laughs> oh, my God. Fomac. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's two, there's two people in there. He's a double Big Mac. <laughs> um, so, uh, but he's injured. We see that he's injured. Um, he says Max that, attacked. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was quite taken aback. Um, so... Uh, he says that Isel took the Gravitonian device and plans to open it. And it, it, she mentions Benson, and this is where he's like, ah, fished in. Ah, got you, tit. Um, so we see um, that we cut back to the team and see that Fitzsimmons are working on it. Basically, they're getting loads of, loads of grief from... Um, Daisy, who's like, look, just figure it out. Science this. We need you to science yeah. this. this, this science the shit. Science the shit out of it. And so... Um, I love how Deke is really trying to be part of the team. Like, finishing yeah, their yeah, sentences. Yeah. yeah, cool, 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 cool. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah just like the strike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly he what He wants to approve of his grandparents, doesn't he? Yeah. And um, they mentioned Robbie again, which is funny, considering what we're talking about in the, uh, the, the feedback, uh, the feedback yep. section. Um, and... May starting to think that, you know, Colson, oh, sorry, the Sarge is starting to remember them. And I think it's interesting as well that they've, they've let, I've noticed they've let um, Clark Gregg, his hair's growing back a little bit. Mm. You know, he had the buzz cut. And it's yeah. as though they've said to him, let it grow a little bit. So he's, he's, start, he's starting to physically resemble Colson a little grow, bit more. Let it grow. <laughs> God. Sorry. I had to. <laughs> so, um, 
we see um, he says to um, to May that uh, he's not going to cure her loneliness, mm. you know. So he's hitting her where it hurts. Uh, May wants to try and get through to him. Um, we see Benson is briefing the faux Mac, um, but they he susses it out. Um, and um, and then she leaves Mac's body and it's return up the Mac. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. I've been for a wee, everybody. I've got the zoomies, like human <laughs> zoomies. Now I've been to the toilet. Uh, we learn that she wants to free some trapped souls. I think I, I love how much she relishes being evil. Like, for example, when she uh, stabs that guy through the neck as Mac, she deliberately changes back immediately just so Mac can be taken aback. By the attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and um, Mac changes back. <laughs> um, that's, that was unintentional. He just does. There's no other way of saying it. Um, Mac rhymes with a lot of things. It does. Um, it's, but, I mean, this really does hark back to our... Ace Mace. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Mac and Ace um, in outer space. So um, <laughs> Daisy goes to Sarge. Um, she's got the Shrike sword as well, talking about how she can use that. Daisy goes to Barge Sarge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, right, this is not Dr. Sarge. No more, no more. Yeah. Um, Simmons calls Daisy out on not listening to Sarge and says that she basically has a pattern of running away. Yeah. Which she does. Um, and she runs away. And she talks about how you know she you know she essentially went to space to get away from the pain uh, of Coulson's death. Yeah. Um, the we see uh, Izel opens up the orb, um, and it's a little bit like uh, it's like a boggart, isn't it? Yeah. Almost um, f- from Harry Potter. Yeah. And we see Benson's exhibit, and it's a really nice play scene. The guy who plays Benson really performs it super well. Um, Daisy, we see Daisy read the letter as well, and I like the fact that. We don't hear it. There's no kind of like Daisy if you're reading this. And, and I, I like, must be dead. I like it when shows do that. It's a little bit like um, I can't remember the character's name, but the secretary in the office's final scene with with Michael. Yeah, you know, and where it's almost as though it's such a private moment for the characters that even the audience aren't allowed to be privy to it. The, you know. the director told her to say truthfully what she wanted to say to. Oh, the actor. The actor, yeah. Um, because they wouldn't have any microphones on, and that's what they did. Oh, so it was then genuinely was saying goodbye to moment. working yeah. together. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and 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 this and I think it's nice that they. I just think that that was a classy and that decision. they don't. Uh, there's no moment where you could pause the TV to read what was on the letter. Yeah. Yourself, because yeah, it's there's not always an that that. What, Am I supposed if, to be reading if, this? If you see a little bit of it, it's like, oh, pause the TV. We'll be able to see what it says. Yeah. 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 There's, I live on um, there a lot of TV shows that were made in the 90s. Obviously, they didn't know HD was coming. So they'll have nonsense stuff on yeah. screens. Rhubarb, and, rhubarb. And, uh, well, and Babylon 5 now is available in HD, and people have been pausing it. And you know how on the station you've got all of those monitors in the background with yeah. news and stuff? People have paused it, and it's got ridiculous stuff. One of them is like... Um, 2369 Rolling Stones farewell tour and like stuff like that. And like just obviously just taking the piss, got loads of this sort of stuff on there. But they, yeah. they didn't think for a second 
that TV quality would ever be at the point where somebody would be able to react. But, you know. but kind of amazing that it is. They actually bothered yeah. to like, do stuff like that. And um, so um, she says, um, he says that he's nothing. Um, and uh, Sarge doesn't. She says that he is something. And I like it because it's a bit of a fake out because you think, oh, she's warming to him. Mm. But then she's not. She quakes him because she wants to see, she wants him to die mm. to see him shrug back, so to speak, yeah. and get a sense of the scene. If, if she wants to see. The Emperor Strike Back. Well, yeah. What, what his equivalent of the Ghost Rider ghost is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and how she can use that. And, and she's worked out that he gets exponentially stronger the more he's kind of hurt. Yes. Like every time he's been injured or, and returns. or killed, yeah. um, it comes back. And um, we see, um, cutting back to, uh, you know, Benson being manipulated, we see. Um, Mac and Yo-Yo call, calling out to him that it's all a lie. Mm. We see Sarge wake up and, you know, starts to show himself in his non-corporeal form. Do you think, um, just thinking about Benson having to face his husband and watch him get killed, would you be able to do that? Because I reckon I'd be fine. I, I think if I fully understood the science of it, but... At the same time, I think the bigger thing here, though, is it's more his guilt. Right. Yeah, it's not what he's actually seeing. It's it's the thing inside him that that's needling. Yeah. But that, that, that's the issue. But I know what you mean. The whole idea of the fact that she's basically saying he's saying you can torture me, you can do whatever you want. But she's like, ah, if you don't, uh, if you, I'll keep doing this to you. Mm. Doesn't kind of feel like enough of a threat. But I think the Especially idea is especially because if if you know that they can do it once. Mm. And she can bring him back, having killed him. It's like, well, it's not him. But I get the feeling, though. The implication is, is that Izel has an ability to know what the thing is that hurts people, and that in this instance, there's something in him that that is his weak spot. Yeah. And that she's needing that. But I know what you mean. I was, I was kind of thinking the same sort of thing. But I think that that is an element of when I say that there's a little bit of the third episode from the end of season syndrome, I think that what that inevitably results in is some stuff has to be shorthanded a little bit. Mm. Um, I think basically it was one of those things where they were like, okay, she can use this, you know, boggart type thing to manipulate him. And I just don't think that they had the time to explore that as effectively as they would have. And need to do a crossover and just go ridiculous. Yeah, exactly, yes. Mm. Uh, but, but I think that, again, if it was a 22-episode season, they'd probably be able to do that. Yeah. We see um, Sarge wake and show himself, smashes his way out of the room. We see Daisy grab the sword and say, look, Colson died a year ago. Stop pretending that he didn't. Mm. Um, we see Yo-Yo and Mac divert Izel in order to eject Benson because obviously, um, you know, he's all the knowledge. And another moment I loved in this episode, this is a bit like the letter reading thing, is obviously it's the fact that Sarge calls her Sky that triggers it. Yeah. But no attention is drawn to that. You see her react to it, and that's the moment she turns. But later on when she's talking to May, she doesn't say, he called me Sky. No. Um, and there's, there's, it shows such trust in the audience to, to get that, to know what that means. Yeah. And I think the viewing is like, it's like, look, this shows they knew the next season, the seventh season was going to be its last. It got renewed. I think at this point they're like, you know what? 
who's going to be still watching this show at this point? It's going yeah. to be the people who are going to get that. Who really care about you it. Know? And I just think... And but, also, there's, I mean, everything else, the team have been watching on cameras uh, remotely. Yeah. I think it would have pulled you out of the scene if they'd signposted it in yeah. that way. As you because, well know, yeah, blah, 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 exactly. blah, blah. It would have been one of those. Because but a lot the, of shows do do that. Yeah, now. I know, but the implication is that they've been watching it all so they know who said Sky. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the show's smart enough to not be, you know, well, as I told your brother twice yeah. removed on your father's side. But I think side, it's interesting that this episode has, there were two moments where they could have, Drop the ball and mm. over-explained or over and they they showed the trust in the audience to not do that. And I think yeah. it's worth uh, worth thinking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we see the memories coming back to him, and he says to kill me, and she hugs him, um, and you know it's kind of Coulson's back, you know, mm. in a sense. Uh, we return to this show's bizarre preoccupation with Indiana Jones when we go inside, right down to the fact that you've got like you know the flaming torches on the walls, yeah. and it's all very very sort of Indiana Jones-ish. And we see Yo-Yo and Mac uh, chained to a pillar. Um, we see Fitz suggesting that they all take amphetamines <laughs> in order to sort of keep her out. Uh, Deke figures out the resonant frequencies and basically that the, the audible frequencies can create a barrier mm. and prevent her from being... It's essentially like an, an, a psychic audio prophylactic to sort of prevent her from being able to get through to them. Um, Deke's just stoked <laughs> that he actually got to contribute yes, yeah. And, um, he is going to design the mother of all belt buckles. Absolutely, is yeah. We see him get sort of excitedly go to the drawing board. Yeah. May goes to Daisy. Um, this is where I say, you know, I've got the note about light, but she didn't say he called me Sky. Um, and uh, and this is where I've got all the notes about how I like that she can be wrong, not a Mary Sue character. Mm. Um, and th- and the moment that really comes true, and I think this is great, is when she she suggests a course of action, and May's like, "Are you sure?" And she's like, "Not at all." Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's so refreshing now. We have had, you know, like I say, mm. seven or eight years of just uh, anybody that isn't a white male mm. being complete perfection, a- basically. Absolutely certain, yeah. totally, yeah. yeah. You know, kind of like a- arrogantly of confident. It's, yeah. it's just like, I'm not sure. But she'll inevitably end up being right because she's an awesome character and she's the hero of our show. Mm. And she should be right. Yeah. You know, um, and, I mean, that's one of the things about how I was listening to a podcast today and they were talking about the character of Captain Kirk and they said that Captain Kirk, the character, has been ruined by the pop culture memory of that character mm. and a little bit like by the people think of Captain Kirk and they think of, oh, this guy who just shags aliens and he's super confident. Mm. But he was always in the show unsure of himself mm. and second-guessing himself and not dealing with the anxiety of all of the responsibility for all of these lives. Yeah. But ultimately, would always be right and succeed. Yeah. And Daisy's like that. You know, she's one of those great characters who shows her humanity by the fact that she isn't sure about these things, but ultimately comes through because of her heroic nature, you know. Yeah. And um, the... I, this is where I've got a note about. I kept thinking it was going to be the end of the episode, and then we see Flint. Is it yeah. Flint that reappear? Flint, and again, it's yeah. another one of those. Christ, never rule anything out from returning in this show. No, absolutely. Um, and we and speaking of returning, we get the extra scene with the Chronicons, and we see the Hunters with replete with Terminator music again uh, kill their leader. So there's some some um, 
So some to see it the fuckery the afoot <laughs> there, yeah. isn't there? Uh, any final thoughts, Hannah, before we wrap up? Uh, I just thought it was such a solid episode and puts the viewer in such a good position going into the final two. Yeah, we're locked and loaded, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, bring it on. Yeah. A uh, couple of quick bits of housekeeping. Uh, reminder, feedback always appreciated at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com or through our YouTube channel and check us out on Instagram and Twitter at rewatchproj, that's rewatchproj, uh, and also check out our friend shows and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. What are we talking about next time, Hannah? The next episode is called The Sign. And I always think of the Ace of Spades. Yeah. Opened up my mind, I saw the sun. Opened up my eyes. Everybody's got some neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> right. The um, synopsis says, with time running short, the team has to go to hell to stop the end of everything. Blimey. It is directed by Nina lopez Corrado. I haven't seen that name for a while. Yeah, she's she's done she's done stuff for the mm. show. Yeah, I know she has, but not, not for, for a while. while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And written by Nora and Lilla Zuckerman. Excellent. Should be good then. Indeed. Looking forward to that one. Cool. Okay, that's it for now, guys. And we will see you soon. Goodbye. Bye bye.